You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, med- medical name brand, Allegra. Odessa. <laughs> All right. Uh, good evening. I'm getting my timer started for you so we don't rush too fast or too slow. According to Chad, we need to be out here uh, five minutes from now, so he's pretty hungry. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we are back in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 9. Maybe you're getting sick of this, I don't know, but I love the book of Joshua. Honestly, any time I spend a long period of time in any book in the Bible, I fall in love with it. There's so much to be learned, there's so many lessons I've just been able to apply to my life personally, but then it's something that God instructs his people with. So tonight, we're looking at believing the enemy. Uh, Whether you know it or not, we are in a spiritual battle on a constant basis, and the Canaan land, as we've seen many times before, is the promised land. It, It represents where God intends for us to be, and we are brought out of Egypt, the world, we, we are journeying on this way, on our way to the promised land, what God has intended for our life. Um, and we've, we've gone through a few different messages where they crossed the Jordan, they conquered uh, Jericho, they, they uh, failed at the city of Ai, they conquered the city of Ai. And, um, you know, they, they have to clear the land, they have to conquer this land. The promise isn't just handed to them, it's not salvation. Uh, salvation was when they left Egypt, but now they have to claim the promise. That is a battle. And uh, along the way, in our spiritual walk, there are enemies, whether they are obvious or not, sometimes they, they come up very cleverly. Or in this, this context, they use the word wilily. So, Joshua chapter 9, verse 1, while Israel, um, in a previous chapter, was out was at Mount Ebal, which is the Mount of Cursing, and Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing, reaffirming their commitment to the Lord. The king, uh, the kings in Canaan were getting ready to attack them. They had heard what was going on. They had heard about the defeat at Jericho and the city of Ai, and they were not about to give up without a fight. Uh, they did not want Israel to conquer their land. They are now entering a region Uh, with a lot of different city-states, and it was time for them to go on the offensive and attack these Jewish invaders. Uh, If we were being attacked in the United States, a lot of states would gather together and unite to defend ourselves. I imagine we would do that. Um, So that is kind of the mindset that we have to look at here. The city-states in Canaan were not always friendly with one another, but local rivals can often come together when they have a common enemy. I think back to the Twin Towers when they got hit. I barely remember the the controversies that were going on then. I barely remember um, any um, civil griping uh, within the nation. But what I do remember is us coming together as a nation and fighting against a common enemy. So Israel, in this context, is a common enemy. And we are looking from their point of view what's happening. And, and, and there's going to be a few lessons here where we see a little bit from the other side. We often look at our personal walk. We often look at, um, you know, our, our blessings, our difficulties, 
uh, the things that we face on a constant basis. How can we rely on God? How can we uh, go to him when we need him the most? And, and um, who can we go to when we need help? But we forget sometimes that there are people that don't know him. And we see a lesson here with these people. They are doing everything they can to find a way of escape. So we have to be conscious of that as God's people and realize that uh, we need to take care of them. Psalm 1, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. See, the world right now, the people that don't follow Christ, that don't believe on Christ, they don't know him, they are rather persecuting him, are united, whether they know it or not, on a front against him. And after an experience of great blessing, God's people must especially be prepared to confront the enemy, for like Canaan, the Christian's life is a land of hills and valleys. So Israel in this context, or sometimes if we picture our life, when we hit a victory, they are walking out of two great victories here, Jericho and the city of Ai. Um, that's when Satan wants to strike the most. And in the context here, they, they are not hit in an obvious way. They don't see it coming. Deuteronomy 11.11, But the land, whither ye go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of, a, of the rain of heaven. Israel's greatest danger wasn't the confederation of the armies of Canaan, it was a group of men from Gibeon who were about to enter the camp and deceive Joshua and the princes of Israel. See, they were looking at the cities they were about to attack, the battles they were about to have, but it was a, a group of men from Gibeon that tricked them and um, caused them to stumble. According to 1 Peter 5, 8, Satan sometimes comes as a devouring lion. It says, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes Satan comes out and roars. Sometimes it's obvious he's coming. Uh, but sometimes he is as a deceiving serpent, as we see in 2 Corinthians 11.3. It says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We must, as Christians, be alert and protected by the spiritual armor that God has for us. He's provided that for us. We ought to be in the Bible consistently. I have recently been listening to a lot of messages, and all of them have been very consistent on the idea that we ought to be in the Word, which I've known for a long time, and the more I'm in it, the more obvious that is. But to be in the Word and to to, to grasp the concept of putting on the spiritual armor of God and having that protection and having that weapon, that two-edged sword that is God's word, we ought to be in it. There's no way we can defend ourselves without actually being in it. We are consumed by it. We cannot think of anything but it when we are, we, when we are in it daily. And the more we are in it, our spirit is strengthened, it's encouraged, and it, and it now has the ability to withstand the wiles of the devil, the, the tricks of Satan. He will bring things to us, but when Scripture is there to defend our spirit against him, then we have that protection. And that is one reason Joshua meditated, meditated on it day and night. It was a requirement and a practice that he did as the leader of Israel 
to be in the word and fellowship with God on a constant basis. I think back to when he first walked up to Jericho. He went out before the sun came up or as the sun was coming up to spend time with God and to meditate on the word and think about what he was about to have to do with Jericho. And where was God in that moment? He was right there and he said, hey, I'm with you. <laughs> he was physically there with him. And that, that is... That is a thing. So when we are in the word of God, he is with us here in that moment and we can pray with him and we can be encouraged by him and we can, we can have strength because we are now, have, we have the entire uh, armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If we are not in the word, then we will crumble. We will be brought to our knees. But when we have the word in our heart, in our minds, we can stand. Because it's God's power that is in us. And we have the ability to, to fight and defend ourselves. Um, and when we are not able to defend ourselves, God's there with us helping us to do that. Um, so the, our key verses for today is Joshua 9, verses 1 through 15. And it, it says right there, And it came to pass, while all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, and the hills, and in the valleys, and all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. They were all driving Hondas on their way through the mountains, okay? And when the inhabitants of <laughs> uh, Gibeon heard, thank you, I, I just want to make sure you're paying attention. When the inhabitants heard um, what Joshua had done unto Jericho and unto Ai, they did work wilily. That word there means craftily. They were very sneaky about it, clever, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. And shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they, had, or, and they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men in Israel, We become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to, to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, which was at Asheroth, wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This is our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you, but now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy, and these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent, and these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. 
And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. If you were paying attention there, there were quite a few errors that happened. There were a lot of warning signs, and it does not say, and and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but from verse 14 to verse 15, it does not say anything about Joshua or anybody in Israel seeking God's counsel. They just made peace with them and made a league with them. So let's move on. We are, we're going to look at three main points today. Number one is what the enemy did. Number two, what the enemy said. And number three, why the enemy succeeded. This is a lesson for us as to the plans of the enemy and how we can succeed against this. Um, this is a lesson for us to learn what not to do. If this was uh, a show in the 90s, it would be called What Not to Do. <laughs> and they would show us examples of all these people that are doing things we shouldn't be doing, similar to what not to wear uh, is what I'm referring to. So what the enemy did, number one, look at verses 3 through 5. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily, craftily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses, wine bottles old, rent and bound up, and old shoes clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. You see, Gibeon was located only 25 miles from the camp of Israel. We're at Gilgal here, and it was Joshua, it was on his list to be destroyed. This was one of the next destinations. It was only 25 miles away. And in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 20, God's law stated that Israel must destroy all the cities in Canaan. Each one of these cities represented sin in our lives. It, it had to be wiped out and cleared. If after the conquest Israel was involved in other wars, they could offer peace to cities that were outside the land. So with this in mind, knowing the law back then, the Gibeonites knew about this law and decided to use it for their own protection. That's why they said they they were from a far-off land. Since the enemy knows how to use the word of God for their own purposes, God's people, us, we have to be alert. They can say the right things, in order to trick us to do what they want us to do. What did Satan do when he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? He used scripture. And there's going to be a lot of false teachings, a lot of false prophets, a lot of uh, false doctrine in the world, which if you're not aware already, it already exists. (laughs) There's a lot of it. And and it's meant to pull us away or to entice us, to entrap us to doing something we didn't intend to do. And in Matthew 4, 5 through 7... Uh, let's see here. If I don't get there quick enough, you can click it. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If be thou the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any, any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So we can learn from Jesus and use Scripture to defend false scripture. We can use real scripture to defend against false teaching, false doctrine. Um, Look how crafty they were. Look at this. The Gibeonites 
they assembled a group of men together and equipped them to look like official uh, delegation from a foreign city. Their clothing, food, and equipment were all designed to give the impression that they had been on a long and difficult journey from a very long distance. Hence the battered clothing, the, the uh, poor wineskins, the, the moldy bread, all that stuff. Satan is a counterfeiter and masquerades as an angel of light. He's very beautiful. He's very clever. He's, he's, he's believable and approachable, but he is a counterfeit. That's why he's using scripture to look mostly right, and yet it's not right. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He is, or he has his false apostles and deceitful workmen, in verse 13, at work in this world, blinding the lost and seeking to lead believers astray. He has people on this planet that he is using to lead us astray. And 2 Corinthians 11.13, it says here, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. These people look like they're following Christ. And it's sad to watch how many people follow it. And if we're not careful, we'll start following it. It's much easier for us to identify the lion when he's roaring than to detect the serpent when he's slithering into our lives. Most often we are startled when we see a snake slither by because we didn't see it coming versus a lion. If we saw a lion standing there, we w- we, at least we'd be a little bit more alert to it. Uh, I'd still be startled. But um, So point number one was what the enemy did. They, they looked the part. They acted like they went a long way. Um, but now look at number two, what the enemy said. Satan is a liar. We know this. And he's the father of lies. And human nature is, is such that people find it easier to tell lies than the truth. We are naturally born liars. It's not something we're taught. And with time, we get better at it. And better at it. And better at it if we're honest with ourselves, and it's when we get saved, now we're convicted, and, and we, we turn around, we turn a corner there. John eight forty four says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. It should be humbling to see the words that says, Ye are of your father the devil. We don't want to be like that anymore. We don't want to be our old selves. And, and it's just in our nature, our old selves, our body is still pulled that direction and can be enticed that direction. Um, but Satan was conquered on the cross. That we, we are no longer held captive to that. We don't have to believe it. We don't have to walk that path anymore. Uh, we can walk the other way. In order to defend ourselves, like we saw earlier, we have to be in the Word. The more we are in the Word, the more we walk with God, the easier it is to be like him, to be more Christ-like and, and to be encouraged by it and to be strengthened by him. The American politi- uh, political leader, Aldi Stevenson, said, A lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in trouble. It's real easy to lie when you're, when you're put in a corner. The Gibeonites told several lies in their attempt to get out of trouble. 
First, they said they were from a very far country when they actually lived 25 miles away. Look at verse 6. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. We already know that if we're not from Canaan, you'll make a league with us. So we're from a far country. Verse 9, and they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. They lied about their clothing and food as well. In verse 12, this is our bread. We took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. They also lied about themselves and gave the impression that they were important envoys on an official peace mission from the elders of their city. They also added some more cleverness and called themselves your servants in verse 8, 9, and 11, when in reality they were enemies of Israel. They kept saying these nice words, we're your servant, we heard what your God did, we, we've been on a long journey. Um, in verse 8, they said unto Joshua, we are thy servants, and Joshua said unto them, who are ye and from whence come ye? So it seems kind of like Joshua is a little bit more critical here. He started to question what he was hearing, but look at verse 9. They never actually say where they came from. He, he asked, he said, okay, you say you're my servant, but where are you actually from? But they never said anything in response. They just added again that they are his servants. Look at verse 9. From a very far country thy servants are come. Not, well, we came from this city and... And we, we want to serve you. We want to help you. No, from a very far country. We're just, we're from over there. Uh, in verse 11, down at the very end, we are your servants, therefore now make a league with us. They kept using that line like they, they couldn't think of anything better. Well, we're your servants. We didn't, we had 25 miles to think of this one city answer, but no, we couldn't think of anything. So we're your servants. Just, just make a league with us. These four lies were bad enough, but when the visitors said they come because of the name of the Lord, their God, in verse 9, that was blasphemy. Like the citizens of Jericho, the people in Gideon had heard about Israel's march of conquest, but unlike Rahab and her family, you remember that salvation message? They didn't put their faith in the Lord. These men were wise enough not to mention Israel's victories at Jericho and I, because if they had known that, they couldn't, have, they couldn't have reached a far country yet. We've been, we were from a far country. We heard about what you did at Jericho and at the city of Ai, which is only a few miles from here. Then they would have caught on, so they were clever enough not to say anything. You see, Satan's ambassadors can lie more convincingly than some Christians can tell the truth. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's, it's hard sometimes as, as Christians to be bold enough to say the truth the way that others can lie. It is much easier to tell a lie confidently than it is to tell the truth. We need to be watchful for, for people who introduce themselves as seekers of the Lord who only are trying to get something out of the church. I've only seen it a handful of times here, um, people visiting, telling these stories, um, I left that to Jesse to, <laughs> to figure out and handle. Um, but sometimes people are coming to seek things and, and to get something out of it, and that's all they care about. They're, it's not really kind of like the, the multitudes that came following Jesus, and then when he started talking about him being the bread of life and, 
and all this other stuff, they were like, what is this? And they fled. They, they, they got out of there. <laughs> they didn't want to hear any more of this craziness. They wanted food again. They wanted miracles again. No, I don't, I don't want to hear about what God has to offer for me. Uh, of all the liars, religious liars are the worst. That's the one you trust the most. Those are the people you assume are going to be honest and tell the truth and, and lead you in the right direction. You put your faith in them. Well, first of all, we should never put our faith in any man on earth. We should be putting our faith in what God's word says. We should be putting our faith in Jesus Christ, not on man. Now, we can be encouraged by, we can follow, we can hope for the best in, in relationships. And, and I, I definitely, within our, our church here, am encouraged on a constant basis. And I, I do step in faith that you're not going to hurt me, even though I've been hurt many times in my life. But we can't put our full faith in mankind, unfortunately. In, until we get to heaven, we, we're perfect like Christ, and, and we have our new bodies, and, and there's no more sin. There's, there's still that chance. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people following a lot of religious leaders that they should not be following. And if they were really in the Word of God, they'd be able to tell the difference, and they'd, they'd walk away. And, and I know that there's some people in this church that did that. They went to the Word of God and started seeing the inconsistencies and walked away and started following Christ. Um, so number one, what the enemy did, they were very clever. And we saw what they said was very clever as well, number two. But now number three, why the enemy succeeded. So we're kind of leading up to something here. We saw all these things that, that, that they did, but the reason why they succeeded is very, very simple. Joshua and the princes of Israel were too quick to rush and didn't take time to consult the Lord. When we don't go to God, we are quick to believe a lie. It's that simple. If we are not in the word on a constant basis, have you noticed when you're not, even for a few days or maybe just one day, you don't spend time in prayer and, and in the word of God, all of a sudden you notice you're doing something or, or saying something or you're going in a, a direction you don't normally go only to find yourself somewhere way off the path. And how did I get here? That happens to, that's happened in the last four years. I've seen that so many times in a way I've never seen before because now I have a calling. Now I have a road to be on. Now I have a path. Now I am called of God to teach and to preach and, and to be even closer in the Word of God than ever before. And having spent that time in the Word, I notice. It's like on a day where I don't drink as much water. I can feel the difference. I feel spiritually dehydrated when I'm not in the Word. So Joshua and the princes of Israel did not go to God for counsel. And because of this, they walked by sight and not by faith. Look at verse 14 and 15. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel out of the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them and to let them live and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Nothing there about seeking God. After listening to the stranger's speech and examining the evidence, Joshua and his leaders concluded that the men were telling the truth. They just took it at face value 
looked at it for a second. There was a hint in verse 9 about Joshua being critical, but didn't dig any further like he had something better to do or something instead of seeking God. The leaders of Israel took this scientific approach, looking at the facts, instead of the spiritual approach. They depended on their own senses, examined the facts, discussed the matter, agreed on their conclusion together as a, as a people. They said, this makes sense. It's good to have biblical counsel or a group of people to talk to, but it's still, you always go back to the prayer. You always go back to God. I mean, it's, I, I am very thankful I have a group of pastors as friends that I can talk to and ask, but I cannot just take their word for it. I have to go back to God and say, is this really what you want? No matter how much what they said made sense, what do you want me to do? Because if we don't seek God, we can be led astray. Man isn't perfect. No matter how nice it sounds, no matter how, how much it makes sense, hey, you should, this job just makes the most sense. You're going to be so much happier. You're, you're going to make this amount of money. Imagine the time you're going to spend with your family because of that. Well, that doesn't always, just because it sounds right doesn't mean it is right. It was all logical and convincing, but it was all wrong. They had made themselves, they had made the exact same mistake at the city of Ai in chapter 7 and hadn't yet learned to wait on the Lord and seek his direction. Why did they end up in the wilderness for 40 years? Because they believed the 10 spies instead of what God said. And here they are repeating that pattern again. We shake our head at Israel. As soon as they left Egypt, we shook our head at Israel like, how could you do that? How could you think that? How could you act this way? Why would you ever do that? But every step of the way, I see myself in it. I see us in it. And it's, it's just lesson after lesson after lesson of, hey, you still are making that mistake. I pray we don't ever make the same mistake twice. Psalm 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his hearts for all generations. The will of God comes from the heart of God, and he delights to make it known to his children when he knows they are humble and willing to obey. When we seek him humbly and we're ready to obey whatever he asks for us, he wants to give that to us. We don't seek God's will like customers who look at options, but like servants who listen for orders. We don't go to God saying, here, what's my options, God? <laughs> okay, I pick that one. We're willing to do whatever he asks us to do. should be our heart. I heard an interesting thing in a sermon I was listening to. I think it was this morning on my way to work. And um, it's all about seeking the will of God and saying, well, I want to know what God wants me to do. Well, how often are you in your word? Because when you're in his word, then it's revealed to you. When you're in the word of God constantly, he starts talking to you. <laughs> you want to hear from God, we have it right here. A whole book of it that's alive. It's not just another book on a shelf. It is him talking to us and loving us. And it's full of his will for us. We want to know how to be men of God. It's right there. How do, how do I be a good wife? It's right there. 
How do I lead my family? It's right there. How, do I, how am I supposed to act in my job? It's right there. What am I supposed to do with my money? It's all there. It's all there. And if we're not willing to follow that, those obvious will command, commands from God, then when's he going to reveal the other to us? Something a little bit more advanced. Hey, I, I, how can I trust you with this if you're not willing to take care of the little I gave you? It's a basic principle for victorious Christian living. God sees our hearts and knows whether we are really serious about obeying him. We definitely should use the mind God has given us. We, I mean, he, he made us who we are. He gave us talents and abilities. But we, need, we, we have to heed the warning of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and not lean on our own understanding. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways, not in most, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And I pray daily, Psalm 5.8, where it says, Lead me, O Lord. That's enough right there, but I continue on because what, what Psalm 5.8 says is so good. It says, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. I got enemies, Lord. <laughs> Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Help me see the path, Lord. I want to walk that path. If this group of men had been an authentic official delegation, we're looking at what a real church is, an authentic church in Sunday school. If these men had been an authentic uh, official delegation sorry, from, from the Gibeonites here, it would, have been, it, it would have comprised of a much larger company bearing adequate supplies. They would have ran out, including sufficient provisions for the trip home, so they would have had enough for the, the return trip. Real ambassadors would have thrown away their dry and moldy bread because their servants, which they didn't have with them, by the way, would have baked fresh bread for them. As officials, they would have packed the proper attire so they might make the best impression possible as they negotiated with the enemy. When they got there, they would have been dressed in their best. Had Joshua and his leaders paused to think for one second and pray about what they saw, they would have concluded the whole thing was a trick. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, how many of you is, is that tonight? <laughs> that's, that's me. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. What's that word upbraideth mean? He doesn't scold us for it. He doesn't say, stop asking me questions. If you lack wisdom, well, that's me. Let him ask God. True faith involves exercising patience. Hebrews 6.11, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Isaiah 28.16, therefore thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation that believeth, or he that believeth shall not make haste. Moses had told the Jews in Exodus 34.12, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. What's he talking about here? Exactly what's happening. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. Well, this became a snare for them. Their haste, in their haste, Joshua and the Jewish leaders broke God's law and made a covenant with the enemy. They didn't know it yet, but that's what they did. 
Look at verse 18, Joshua 9, verse 18. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. Israel was upset that they got tricked here. They figured it out. Now they're upset, but now they're stuck in it because they made a covenant like they were told not to do. Since their oath was sworn in the name of the Lord, which, by the way, we're not supposed to do at all, it could not be broken. And Joshua and the princes of Israel had sworn to their own hurt, and there was no way to revoke their oath or be released from their promise. To Chad's excitement in conclusion, (laughs) here, I'll even put it on the screen for you. There you go. Like Joshua and the nation of Israel, God's people today are living in enemy territory, and we must exercise caution. When you believe the enemy, instead of seeking the mind of the Lord, you can expect to get in trouble. They will come with the right look, the right words, the right item is in hand. But if you pray about it and look with discerning eyes at what's actually happening, you'll, God will help you see what, what's real and what's not real. I'd rather not believe everything the enemy says. I'd rather see it coming. I'd rather have the, the heat vision goggle things that Chad's got, see that snake coming from afar off. <laughs> well, I guess they're cold-blooded, so maybe I wouldn't see it coming, but... <laughs> If we're in the word on a constant basis, then, then we, have, we have that radar system going. We have a way to detect it coming and to be able to rightly divide the word of God, rightly discern a situation, take what somebody says like Satan or whoever he's using in that moment and divide it against what God really says. I hope I get an opportunity soon to preach the next lesson that that comes of this because what ends up happening as a small spoiler is God uses this lack of counseling him as a major advantage in a battle coming. Whether Israel knew it or not, God used something that shouldn't have happened because his people did something they're not supposed to do and he, he he turned it around and used it in a mighty, mighty way to conquer an impossible situation. So even if we mess up, we can have encouragement that God can do something with it. <laughs> Which I'm extremely thankful for because I mess up constantly and somehow he still turns things around and somebody else gets blessed. Even though I didn't do my part completely, something happens and God does something with it that shouldn't have happened. All in there. Um, do we have any comments or questions? Nothing? All right. Well, that silence is <laughs> deafening enough for me. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate, as always, being able to preach. And Four years. It's amazing what God can do. I'm not saying anything about me. I'm just saying, man, being in his word has just been, if you're not in it on a constant basis, be in it. Because, man, he's, he's blessed me so much just by being in his word and 
shaped my heart and helped me learn from him and encouraged me. It's much easier to stand in a valley when there's no strength in my legs to move forward in, in the swamp land I'm in sometimes. But man, when, when God's there driving and pulling and, and encourage me, encouraging me in his word, it's, there's hope knowing that I'm going to be out of it sometime soon. And be in his word. 